Point of view. You're lying in bed in the darkness. It's so quiet, the only sound is the ringing in your ears. Suddenly, you hear a loud noise beside you. You jump and quickly reach for your phone. You've received a message from a gremlin. The hair on your arm stands up as you read their message containing a case suggestion. On today's episode, Laura and I will be covering two cases suggested by our gremlins. With us, we have our best friend Colby, and this is Grim. Oh my, the hair on my arms actually <laughs> stood up when you said that. It's so good. I think, the so ring, good. I think the ringing in your ears is a repeat from the cemeteries, but I love like when it is that quiet, you yeah. genuinely can yeah. hear ringing in your ears. Yeah. So I think that really portrays what I'm going for. Mm-hmm. So this week is different. We're doing yeah. listener suggestions. So mm-hmm. they're just cases that are a little bit smaller. They don't have 17 books written about <laughs> them. So that's a disappointment for me and Laura, but <laughs> we got by anyways. Uh, my listener suggestion case is the tragic murder of Samantha Josephson, which has also been called the Uber murder. I remember hearing about this case in the news, but this case was actually brought back to my attention by a listener who's from the same town in New Jersey as Samantha. So thank you so much to Day D'Amico. Woo! Go Day! We love you and we love all of our gremlins so, so much. Uh, Day shot us an email at grimcrimepodcast at gmail.com. So thank you so much, Day. And if you'd like us to cover something on an episode or just want to say hi, give us a holler because you'll make our day and we would love to make yours too. Aw. I know. It's so sweet. Uh, I read a lot of articles, watched some of the trial on YouTube, and also listened to a great recap of the trial on the Court Junkie podcast. Ooh, that sounds like right up my alley. I haven't heard of that before. It was. It was It was a I didn't realize when it said court junkie that it was a recap of the trial, but there's mm. clips of the testimony yep. and it was really great. Awesome. You think I would have put two and two together, but <laughs> alas, I did just not. Somebody really enjoys the basketball court or like <laughs> a racquetball court. They just love all of the courts. Courting women. Like. <laughs> you know how much we love the words that have two meanings here on Grimm. We love it. You know, organ, organ minors. I was going to Organ ask, minors. I, I was going to ask about Uber. Was it Uber like the biggest murder like no. to the um, degree or the I know it's the car I was thinking it and I just I couldn't help it <laughs> so it good. is uber as in the ride share gotcha though it is a large murder I guess too aren't all murders large anyways it's the murderiest murder <laughs> <laughs> let's jump right in here uh, and talk about Samantha Josephson Samantha went by Sammy to her friends and family and she was the daughter of Seymour and Marcy Josephson She grew up in Robbinsville, New Jersey. I couldn't really find much information about Sammy's childhood, but I think it's safe to say that she grew up in a loving home and she was described as just a wholesome, small town kind of girl. At 21 years old, Samantha was a student at the University of South Carolina where she was studying political science. She was scheduled to graduate in June of 2019 and had planned to attend Drexel University School of Law where she had earned a full scholarship hoping someday to practice international law, which could not be further from my wheelhouse as a lawyer. So (laughs) kudos to that. 
I think her life circumstances at the time of her death really makes this case hit even closer to home for me. Uh, I know you both probably remember the feeling of the final months of senior year Mm -hmm. of college. The dichotomy of hurtling towards adulthood (laughs) while simultaneously celebrating pretty hard as a college senior. (laughs) Sammy had this whole impressive life in front of her and it was all snatched away too soon. On March 28th, 2019, Sammy went out for the night with friends to celebrate her scholarship and their nearing graduation, which again is very relatable. Mm -hmm. Sammy had a boyfriend at the time, a man named Greg Corbishley, who lived in Charleston, which was about two hours away from Sammy at the University of South Carolina. I did not use MapQuest for that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Sammy had asked Greg to come out that night to celebrate with her and her friends, but Greg said he couldn't make it. Greg and Sammy, however, kept in constant contact. They'd frequently text each other, and they both had each other's locations available on the Find My Friends app. Sammy and her friends planned to go hang out that night at the Bird Dog Pub, which was at the popular college hangout area of Five Points in Columbia, South Carolina. I looked into the area, and Five Points is described as a village neighborhood synonymous with small businesses. In the area, there are residences, local businesses, and restaurants, and I got the vibe that it's sort of like Blueback Square in West Mm. Hartford for our Connecticut listeners. Mm. So Samantha and her friends left for the Bird Dog Pub around 12.15 or 12.30 a.m., This is not relatable at all for me, and I know it's not relatable for Grandma Laura over there. (laughs) No. It's even a bit late for me at this point in my life. I think like 10, 10.30 is about where I would draw the line at leaving my house. Even in college, I had to be out by nine or it just was not going to happen. Uh Once I'm out, I will shut it down. I will be the life of the party. But if you don't get me off my couch and out of the house by nine, it's over. There's like a window, a yeah. couch window. <laughs> the, yeah. the window slams shut, the jammies go on, and it's <laughs> over. It's just over. Sammy's group of friends hung out at the pub for a few hours, and around 2.30, Sammy told Greg she was getting an Uber back to her apartment, which was about two miles from the bird dog, so an Uber ride should have taken less than 10 minutes for her to get home. Once Greg knew that Sammy was leaving the bar... He started checking his phone to see her location in the Find My Friends app to make sure that she got home safely. But when he checked, he saw that she was actually headed in the opposite direction of her apartment, which he felt was odd since she had just told him that she was headed home. He texted her and called her, but there was no response, and his text said delivered, but he never got a read receipt. He reached out to her on Snapchat as well, also no response. Her location stopped being shared with him around 2.40 a.m., which had never happened before in their relationship. The phone either died or turned off, and her last known location was Montgomery Avenue, which was only five miles from her home. Greg was slightly concerned, but not alarmingly so. He called her roommates to see if she was home or if anyone knew where she was, and they didn't. Greg went to bed around 5 or 5.30, thinking that Sammy must have lost her phone and had gone to someone else's house for the night. Ugh. I mean, that's a fair assessment that yeah. maybe her phone got stolen or something. But And he called the roommates. He did. That's good of him. Also, I, who goes to bed at five in the morning? I was just going to say. I, I saw I, your face. Did, I was, did you see her face? It, <laughs> yeah. did, it did a thing. Well, yeah. I, then I was like, all right, well, maybe he was staying up worried. But I'm, I'm waking up at that point, like uh. from having slept. Yeah, I, I actually do prefer to see five o'clock coming at it that yeah. way yeah. than when I have to wake up to an alarm to it the other way. I'm yeah. with you. I, I do a much better job staying up until 5 a.m. than I would ever do it waking up at 5 a.m. Yeah. Colby, do you remember the time we pulled an all-nighter studying for an e-contest and then I went back to my apartment and then I did uh-huh. not go to the test and because you slept I fell through asleep. it? 
Yes. Yeah, that's Oops. a real story. Real bad. Uh, was it the night we went to the Red Sox game and we hung out on the Green Monster? Yes. And we met state troopers from New York and hung out with them all day? And then drove we, home really, really late. I'm shocked we didn't end up on this podcast yeah. at some point in time. That's funny that my brain thought we were studying, though. <laughs> we were studying in our own way, you know? You were studying the book of life. Yeah. It was econometrics, baseball, saber metrics, econometrics. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. there was a synergy there. Mm. So we just went for it. Those mm-hmm. are words. Yeah. They are words. Those, yeah. those are words. They're Metrics. English words, yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So around 11 a.m., Greg was woken up by calls from Sammy's roommates saying that Sammy had never returned home and no one had heard from her. Now Greg was worried and he headed to Columbia because he hadn't heard anything from her either. When Greg got to Sammy's apartment in Columbia, police were speaking to her roommates about Sammy's last known whereabouts oh, and oh where no. she could be. Columbia police issued a BOLO, which stands for Be On The Lookout, which included a picture of Sammy. The police, Greg, and Sammy's friends went to the last place they had seen her phone to look for any clues and ask if anyone had seen anything. They also went to the Five Points area to look for any video footage. They went to a bar called Breakers, which had a good street view, but they didn't have anything helpful. They then went to the Bird Dog, which did have footage of Sammy leaving the bar that night. They saw Sammy get into the back of a black Chevy Impala outside of the bar. I looked up this video and with no context, it's just standard footage that you would see Mm -hmm. on a security camera. It's just a girl getting into a car outside of a busy bar. Sammy just runs up, jumps into the back of this car, and there's a crowd of people standing just feet away. And that's what makes it so chilling, knowing that she was never seen alive again. The group search for Sammy's whereabouts was fruitless, but Sammy was ultimately found. Two turkey hunters were in a remote area of Clarendon County, about 65 miles from where Sammy got into the black Impala outside the bird dog when they noticed her body. All of the hair on her arms is standing up right now. For some reason, that just super gave us chills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clarendon County Sheriff's Office was called to the scene, but they didn't have much experience with crimes like this, so they called in the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, which is also known as SLED. The sheriff remembered the bolo that was put out by Columbia Police Department. The sheriff said he ID'd the body as that of Samantha Josephson based upon her clothes and appearance. At this point, the only lead the police had was the black Chevy Impala that they had seen Sammy get into. That night, the police went out to search the Five Points area. And they found it. They saw a vehicle matching the description, and one of the Columbia officers pursued the Impala. The officer turned on his lights to pull the car over, and he approached the vehicle around 3.30 in the morning. The driver was initially cooperative, and the officer noticed a strong odor of marijuana emanating from the car. The driver admitted that he had smoked earlier in the day. The officer asked him for his ID, but the driver said he didn't have one on him. At that point, the officer asked the driver to step out, The driver put his hand in his pocket, which put the officer on Uh, high alert, and then the driver took off running into the night. Oh. Other officers pursued the driver on foot, and the officer who pulled the driver over focused on the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Inside, he saw a rose-colored iPhone between the driver's side seat and the center console and a set of keys. He decided to pause his search because he said he could see a lot of evidence in the car. He saw large amounts of blood, footprints on the window, and cleaning (gasps) supplies, including bleach. Oh, no. Oh, the footprints on the window are breaking my heart. Yeah. Oh. The officer called an evidence technician so that the car could be properly processed. And in the meantime, the officers caught the driver and detained him. The driver of the vehicle was Nathaniel Rowland. The police spoke to Nathaniel's girlfriend, Maria Howard. 
Maria had only been dating Nathaniel for a couple weeks at that time, and she provided additional information to the police and also testified at Nathaniel's trial. On March 28th, Nathaniel and Maria hung out at her apartment. Nathaniel normally didn't stay the night with Maria, but they planned for him to stay that night. Maria doesn't like staying by herself, and Nathaniel promised that he would be there when she woke up. Maria went to sleep around 1.30 in the morning, and Nathaniel was downstairs on the couch at that time. But when Maria woke up at 6 a.m., Nathaniel wasn't there. He had two phones, and he didn't respond to Maria's calls on either one. Maria was annoyed because he was supposed to bring her to work that day, and he'd also promised that he would get her work shirt cleaned the day before. Nathaniel pulled into her driveway a little before 7 in the same clothes he was wearing the night before. He didn't have Maria's work shirt when she asked him, and then Nathaniel said he had to go real quick because he had to take his nephew to school. He was only gone for 10 minutes, and Maria said that his nephew lived about 30 minutes away, so that was clearly a lie. Mm -hmm. When Nathaniel returned, he had Maria's work shirt, but it was wet. Maria asked him where her work visor was because it had been in the back window of his car the day before. He told her it was in the country. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) He put it out to pasture. (laughs) As one does. She asked why it was in the country. He said because it had blood on it. Oh. Maria asked him why. And he said, mind your business. <gasps> oh. I would most definitely mind my business at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't. You wouldn't. No, no, I wouldn't. I'd be like, it is my fucking business because it's my visor, you bitch. <laughs> and the next listener suggestion is the tragic murder of Colby. Maria got in the car with Nathaniel to go to work. And when they stopped for gas, Maria noticed the dried blood on the dashboard, in between the seats, and in the back seat. She also noticed there was a sheet draped over the back seat and onto the back of the driver's seat, and she could see blood on the part of the seats that was not covered. She asked Nathaniel why there was blood in the car, and he again told her to mind her business. That one I may mind my business on. <laughs> yeah. I might, but I might be like texting you, like, yeah. oh, guys, some shit is going down here. <laughs> Maria said Nathaniel looked tired, and she let him keep her house keys so that he could rest at her apartment while she was at work. I guess the blood in the back of the car really didn't, it didn't phase her yeah, at that point. Yeah, and like a few weeks they've been dating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She can't know him that well after no. a few weeks. Like, I would be highly suspicious and not let this individual hang I out mean, at my if house. if my husband that I've been with for 10 years came home with blood all over the back, I would be very concerned. But you'd be like, do you need help hiding the yeah, body? True. Yes. Because it's yeah. your husband. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, first concerned <laughs> concerned <laughs> then uh, helpful. yeah and then a co-conspirator it just eases right into it <laughs> mm-hmm. nathaniel took the keys and he said he would clean his car while he was gone and then he'd pick her back up at two o'clock at work but he never showed a co-worker brought her home where nathaniel's car was parked outside maria pounded on the door because he had her house keys and maria said when nathaniel opened the door he looked shook and was still wearing the same clothes that he had been wearing when he dropped her off and from the night before maria took a shower after her shift at work and when she got out of the shower nathaniel was outside cleaning his car with bleach maria needed to run errands and nathaniel agreed to let her drive the car while driving maria said nathaniel continued to clean the car with wipes and he was wearing blue surgical gloves and was even using a hunting knife to try to clean the crevices something about a barn door and cow- cows already is it cows that have already been out Hmm, I should try that again. <laughs> what? What's, uh, a, is what's it, a, am the, I closing the barn door after the cows are, are already out? That's a thing. This feels like a farm thing, but I don't know. It's what it's it's a farm what's thing. with it's... Laura and cows? Like that, the great fire with the cows <laughs> oh that we God, know nothing that's about? That's a thing. That's 
very famous, the O'Leary farm. The cow knocked over the lantern. Okay, all that's I know is until famous. the cows come home and no. happy cows come from California. Well, I'm not convinced it's about cows. It's it's happy cow. Just <laughs> what you said. No, no, no. There is a thing that's saying closing the barn door after the is it the horses have been out the cows have been out some animal got out i gotta look it up now because i've i've never heard this phrase I but it feels i promise real. you that it's oh, a I real thing it. i've never heard i'm this not phrase convinced either. about how do i even situation. look this up I don't closing know. barn door after cattle, <laughs> after cattle. i don't know what you're gonna find okay we'll, we'll come back to you okay so it was close the barn door after the horse has bolted Okay. That's the phrase. I generally got the gist of it. Yeah. Decal It's a bolt. thing. Uh, no. <laughs> Laura That's, just really, she's got a thing for the cows. She loves them. I have a thing for misspeaking um, colloquial. How do you say that <laughs> Colloquialism? Okay. It's a really hard word. I can spell it, but I can't say it. How do you? Okay. Colloquialism. Okay. Did anyway, this <laughs> has been your pronunciation of the day on Grimm. <laughs> Okay, all right. Now that we've lost half our listener base. It's like a PBS advert. <laughs> the word of the day is colloquialism. So now that we've figured out what I was trying to say, yes. we can we can move on. Colloquialism. So Maria uh, said he was using the hunting knife to try to clean the crevices of the car. And Maria asked him what he was doing. And can you guess what he said? Mind your business. Mm-hmm. Maria noticed a pink iPhone between the seats and she asked Nathaniel about it and he said he found it and was going to have the phone wiped so that he could give it to her. I thought this was going to be a whole bit where you said something and then Colby was yeah. like, mind your business. And then you said something else, <laughs> mind your business. He, this one he had an answer for. Okay. Were you ready for I, mind I, your she business? Was again? Oh, okay. yeah. No, nope, yeah. just once. Okay. After running errands, Maria needed to pick up her child from daycare. Nathaniel said he didn't want Maria's child in the car because of the blood and Maria agreed, but she had no other way to pick up her kid. So she picked up the kid and put her in the back seat on a booster seat. Uh, and then they went back to Maria's apartment. Nathaniel's friends wanted to go out that night to the Five Points area. Nathaniel agreed to go and even volunteered to drive, even though there was blood all over his car. And that was the night that he was apprehended by the police. Police searched Maria's trash and they found bloody gloves, a knife and other items that were shoved into a family dollar grocery bag. Also, I mentioned that Sammy's body was found in a very remote area. It just so happened that the property across the street from where Sammy's body was found was owned by the Roland family, a.k.a. Nathaniel Roland. Oh, how peculiar. Not a coincidence. So Sammy's tragic death was the result of an accident. Sammy had accidentally gotten into the wrong vehicle thinking that it was her Uber. Oh, no. Once inside, she was unable to get back out because the child safety locks were engaged. And then she was brutally murdered. Sammy's autopsy showed that she had been stabbed at least 120 times. Holy shit. Yeah. And the medical examiner said he actually stopped counting around that point because he didn't feel that it added anything to his report. The medical examiner took over 170 photos given the severity of her injuries. Sammy had been stabbed in her brain, neck, head, torso, and feet. The medical examiner said that she had lost so much blood during the attack that they had a hard time collecting a blood sample from her body during the autopsy. Oh, man. Brutal. Oh, my God. Brutal. Nathaniel Rowland was charged and tried for Sammy's murder and kidnapping and for possessing a weapon during those two crimes. Jury selection began on July 12, 2021. 
During his trial, Nathaniel maintained his innocence, and he tried to introduce reasonable doubt based upon the DNA evidence. Nathaniel's DNA was not found anywhere on Sammy's body, including anywhere that was sampled on her clothing, her body, or under her fingernails. An unknown individual's DNA was found under Sammy's fingernails, but it wasn't Nathaniel's. The defense also argued that the evidence demonstrated that Sammy fought hard against her attacker, kicking and punching Hmm. with all her might. Yet Nathaniel was examined and photographed and didn't have a single mark or scratch on his body. Huh. I'm perplexed. I am too. Is there a second person that was in the car with him? I think he just got lucky. Yeah. I think that he just got lucky and didn't have any marks on it. There could be another person Mm. involved, but I feel like it's mostly him. Um how old how much older than sammy is nathaniel i'm I'm just wondering like she's a 21 year old girl i mean she'd she'd be strong enough but Mm. i'm just kind of curious i believe he was 24 at the time of the trial so he was around 22 when this happened and she was 21 so they were around the same age are you going to talk about what his motive was i'm so confused as to what because it would be. did he just she got in his car and he was like oh how convenient i was hoping to murder someone today like i mean what are the odds or was he waiting outside knowing that people were getting ubers and was like perfect they'll get into my car no he he pulled up and sammy just got right into his car no i know but first of all why'd he pull up to the club or club bar bar place i I think he was just in that area i don't know if he was parking i don't know if he saw her unfortunately i have no answer for you on his motive and all the articles that i read and even um the judge mentioned during the trial that this was just a random act of violence just just how how, we talk about stabbing being so personal and so intimate and emotional i just am perplexed unless he was looking for someone to kill and thought you know people get ubers by the bar and i have a black car that right black car Mm -hmm. that looks like it could be an uber car i don't know and not only that i mean maria gave a look into his day prior to this where they just hung out together and he was supposed to spend the night with her so it's not even like something insane happened to him there was no triggered him as far as we know though he left he left sometime after she went to sleep at 1 30 so something might have happened in that half hour to hour span that that triggered him but it was that's what makes it even more tragic it was an accident for her to get in this car and it's just so unfortunate that he just did this and no history of previous violence or mental issues or anything that you could find i think he had one charge on his record but i think it was theft or something it was nothing it was nothing that would lead you to believe that he would be capable of this i'm blown away yeah well so the defense leaned on this information uh, about the missing dna uh hoping to sow a seed of doubt for the jury there was too much evidence against him his ex-girlfriend maria testified about the events leading up to and directly after sammy's murder Maria said when she saw the video of Sammy getting into Nathaniel's car on the news, it all made sense. Mm -hmm. And while Nathaniel's DNA was not on Sammy, Sammy's DNA was found on Nathaniel's flip-flops, under his fingernails, and on his sock and bandana. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. Then I agree with he just got lucky that his DNA wasn't on her. Yes. Yep. The state also introduced evidence that someone tried to use Sammy's debit card twice the night that she was murdered. And the GPS on Nathaniel's phone placed him at both of those ATMs. Mm, That's pretty Mm. damning. Yep. The defense didn't call any witnesses, and Nathaniel chose not to testify. On July 27th, 
2021, after just over an hour, the jury returned with a guilty verdict on all counts. Good. Yep. Yep. Sammy's family asked for life, and they got it. Good. So following her death, Sammy's parents, Seymour and Marcy, have done amazing things in her memory. They got legislation passed in New Jersey called Sammy's Law. Sammy's Law is in effect in New Jersey, and it requires rideshare companies to issue additional identification materials to drivers to help passengers correctly identify their vehicle. They must issue two identifying markers to each driver to be displayed on the front windshield and rear window. They must create and provide every driver with two copies of a two-dimensional barcode or other machine-readable code that passengers can scan to confirm the identity of the vehicle. And they must produce and issue two credential placards to be displayed on the driver and passenger side rear windows that include the driver's name, photo, and license plate number. Drivers who fail to comply with these provisions are subject to a fine of $250, and rideshare companies that fail to comply with these provisions can have their permit to operate in New Jersey suspended or revoked. That is excellent. Sammy's law has also been introduced at the federal level, but it hasn't been advanced beyond the Subcommittee on Highways and Transit at this point. Now, our gremlins know our motto, listen, learn, and stay alive, and this is definitely a case that we should all learn from mm -hmm. because most, if not all of us, have used a rideshare company and will use a rideshare service, especially with the holidays coming up. Sammy's parents have also started the hashtag What's My Name movement and foundation. Yes. The foundation's 5K race that they hold every year actually just occurred on September 24th, 2022. In addition to working to increase overall safety in ride sharing, the foundation is also working to drive down the number of sexual assaults that occur. I found these statistics absolutely startling. In 2017 and 2018, there were over 10,000 incidents of sexual assaults reported and over 29 deaths. Holy shit, 29? In 2019 oh and 2020, Uber said it received 3,824 reports of the five most severe categories of sexual assault, Ugh. ranging from non-consensual kissing of a non-sexual body part to non-consensual sexual penetration, also known as rape. So this is an extremely mm. worthy cause that these yeah, parents are, yeah. are working on, especially with the increased popularity of ride sharing. Yep. Those yep. statistics are startling to me, and Awful. I would like to never order an Uber ever again Same. now. Seriously. Hey, thank you. There's a very informational page at whatsmyname.org where you can read more about the foundation and can also donate to the cause. But one of the biggest takeaways from the site is to always ask, what's my name? I'm going to cry. Oh, oh Marina. Oh. <sighs> no, her like, the freaks. Shit. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm not gonna be able to get it together. Do you want a second? Yeah, pause for a second. Okay, Marina's back and has composed herself. And yes. I think, you know, we debated do we restart that whole kind of part and edit, but I think it's a good reminder that we really do think about the people in these yeah. cases and it really does affect us, even though this is a fun, generally fun podcast. It's these are real people. Yeah. And that's, you know, especially with Marina being a parent, I think it's yeah. just hits home and sammy could be any of us because exactly. really, how yeah. many yeah. of us have gotten into an uber or a lyft and yep. just said are you so and so right instead right. of saying who are you and yep. like who am i we yep. we offer right. the information pretty freely yeah yep. we've we've all been here and that that's why this is so important so I'm, I'm gonna get this out yep one of the biggest takeaways from the site is to always ask what's my name and remember hers and sammy stands for stop 
ask, match, and inform. They say stop, plan ahead before you request a ride, think about where you're headed, and review the safety features in the app so you know how to use them. For example, Uber now offers a verify my ride feature to ensure that people are getting into the correct vehicle. Uber will send the passenger a four-digit pin, and the ride cannot start until the driver enters the correct passenger pin into their phone. Oh, that's really smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ask stands for ask your driver, what's my name, to confirm they have booked a trip with you through the ride sharing app. And like Colby said, don't get in and say, Mm -hmm. are you here for Colby? Are you this person? Yeah. You ask them to give you the information. Match is match the make, model, and license plate of the car with the one displayed in the app. And inform, share the details of your trip with a friend mm. and utilize the share status function in your ride sharing app, which is available with both Uber and Lyft. And finally, before you get in the car, check the door to make sure mm. the child safety lock is not engaged. If you don't know what that is, Google it, look at it on your own car. It's most often on the inside edge of the passenger doors, and it's a small switch or knob that can be engaged so that the doors cannot be opened from the inside. I saw an article about someone who went viral because they said they always check the doors once they get inside. They said they get in the vehicle, shut the door, and then try to reopen it to ensure that the child safety locks are not engaged. However, with that strategy, if they are engaged, you're now already locked in that vehicle. So you know what? Take the extra minute, pull out your flashlight on your phone, and check the door before you get in. It's better to look absolutely paranoid and know Mm -hmm. you are safe than to end up locked inside someone's vehicle. I'm actually glad you explained that because I don't have children, and I always i think i know now that you set it out that way that that's what the child lock is but i think in my brain i just assumed you know when you can lock the like i was thinking window lock from the front Mm. i just wasn't thinking about it so i wouldn't have thought to do it before getting in the car so yes i'm glad you said i've never done it i've never even thought about doing it and that's i'm not kidding like we need to learn that's why this is such a great case to learn from like we can all learn from this to avoid a tragic accident like this the anxiety i I feel thinking about the idea of not being able to open that door is immeasurable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awful. I um, So I have a coworker who, not to the extreme of Sammy, but she did have a scary situation in a lift one time. Um, so we were traveling for work and like all of us arrived at the location and this woman was still missing from, from our thing. And we were like, that's weird. She's usually very punctual. Why is she not here? Well, she showed up the next morning and she explained to us the reason she wasn't there was because when her lift came to pick her up to bring her to the airport, she noticed that there were two people inside of the lift, like a driver and a passenger. So this is another thing. You should never get into one of these rideshare mm-hmm. vehicles if there are two people in the front of it. Like, I'm not talking about like no. an Uber pool or right, anything right, like right. that, but do not get in if there are multiple people. So she did. And they had an explanation for it. They told her, you know, her ride was scheduled in the morning. Like the woman usually does Bible studies early in the morning, but she wanted to make sure she could get her to the airport. It's too much backstory. So her husband came along and was going to drive while she did their Bible studies. And the woman was like, okay, that that's fine. Like probably thinking like, wow, how sweet that like you guys are partnering on this. And she, then she said, 
she started to listen to what the woman was reading and it was very like Satan forward <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, and she was saying, I'm not super religious. Like I have not read the Bible cover to cover. So maybe there's some stuff in there, but she said it was like very focused on like rituals and, and Satanism and whatnot. And so she started to get worried because she was like, okay, this is a weird situation for me to be in. And then she noticed that the child safety locks were on in the car because she like went to jiggle the door, I think, to check, like you said, after. And then she started to get really sleepy. (gasps) And she said that the guy in the front like had some kind of a mask on or something like that. Uh -uh. And she was convinced that she was being gassed. So she said she absolutely lost her shit and Uh started pounding on the window Uh and kicking. And he pulled over on the highway and just kicked her out of the car and left her on the side of the highway. Best case scenario. So I think her flipping out was enough to deter this particular group of people. Like maybe they weren't planning to murder her or do something else. But like I I was very terrified after I heard that story. And I actually didn't use Lyft for a while. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, well, if Lyft is not going to vet their drivers right. and do this but it, it's not a lift problem it is an all ride share yep. company thing right. and i just i think about all the times that mm-hmm. we've gotten into a car and not done the proper checks mm-hmm. oh the other thing is if they ask you where you're going you're never going somewhere alone you're not going no. to your apartment you're yep. going to your friend's house your friends are there they're waiting for you you're texting them you're never going to be yep. anywhere alone yep make a make a fake phone call too if you yes. start yep. to get worried make a fake phone call say you're 10 minutes away you know, I'm going to share my location with you right now so you can see where I'm going. I mean, anything. There are TikToks where mm, people do fake phone calls yeah, and you can too. play them because then you have the other audio yep. or something and you can be on speaker. Right. Um, I think that's a brilliant idea and I would highly encourage yep. people to save one of those videos to their phone. I think the other thing is just if you're uncomfortable, get yourself out of the situation. Yep. It doesn't matter if you're being ridiculous. It it doesn't matter. You're yeah. not offending anyone. And if you are, that's ridiculous too. So yeah. just... If your ride pulls yeah. up and you get a bad vibe, you know, take the one star for canceling yep. your ride or whatever yeah. it is. Take the hit on your rating and just, you know, call it intuition and, you know... Yep. better than a hindsight is 2020 situation i'd rather look ridiculous than dead so mm-hmm. exactly every time especially if you're dead is like the corpse bride yeah, yeah. that yeah. i really don't want to look dead i really don't want that afterlife no no, no. so thanks again day D'Amico, for yes. thoroughly depressing us and yeah, making really. me cry on the podcast yep. we love you so much we do love you though <laughs> we do we yeah. do we do genuinely love it was you. it was an awesome case and to your point like listen learn and stay alive i think that this is an important mm-hmm. one because there is a lot we can learn about exactly. how to be safer in these situations exactly so now now gremlins don't go anywhere because if you're like me you might have forgotten that this was not just a one case episode because i was very into listening to marina's case it's laura's turn but yeah this is listener suggestions so we're gonna switch over to a, really a completely different kind of case that i okay. will tell you about today so today i'm going to tell you about the shooting on hawthorne hill involving olympic equestrian michael barrisone and his student lauren Kanarek. okay i know It's a a very different case than what we normally do. That title sounds like it should be a Netflix series. It does. That's why I named it that. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you had horses growing up, right? I did. Me too. Yes. I realized how very little I know about horses. Having talked to people and reading this, I was like, wow, I don't don't know anything. I was such a nerd. Like, we had two. I worked at a horse barn after school to pay for my lessons Mm -hmm. at the riding facility. And I also was a member of a website called thehorseland.com. If anybody listening to this remembers it, you'd, like, literally have, like, horses and you'd enter them into shows. And, like, I... 
this is so nerdy. I taught myself like HTML, how to code because you'd like build your own page, mm-hmm. which was like <laughs> your stable and you'd like make images of the horses. So yeah. Quick question. Did it have a forum too that yes. like, um, I believe I did the same thing. Oh my god! Which is really oh funny. Maybe we you guys are were horse land. No, but seriously, oh god, you were like we people. Tr- you were yeah, like, maybe yeah. we traded. Maybe we That's traded horses. Really funny. Yeah. Wow, okay. guys. I, and again, I don't buy the everything you put on the internet is forever. Where are my horses? <laughs> Where's my MySpace? Like, um, I want it. Hopefully gone, like my live journal <laughs> that is somewhere out there with way too much personal information on it. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. I will. I will hush now. I'm ready. <laughs> I just. I was excited about the horses. I didn't have any horses. No, I didn't okay. have a horse land account. I'm really sorry. I feel I'm really sorry. left that's out. That's okay. You can still in, in, I enjoy is probably the wrong word, but you can still listen to this case. Okay. So this case came as a suggestion from my dad and my stepmom. My stepmom is an extremely accomplished equestrian herself in the same discipline that we're going to talk about today, dressage. And uh, they immediately immediately thought of this when we started Grim. So they've been, I think, been waiting for me to look into this one. I love that. Yeah. That brings me joy. That. And yeah. I love them. They're so great. They are. My dad, I always say, is the number one gremlin because mm-hmm. he's always out there telling people about yep. us and all that. So, Adorable. Yeah. Thanks, dad. Mm-hmm. So when I began to look into what happened in this case, I will admit, I kind of thought, like when they first told me about this months ago, I kind of thought it was a straightforward case where an innocent woman was attacked. But this is also the first case where I've actually had the opportunity to interview people, which was really intimidating, actually. So thank you for those who talked to me. Um, And I'll say, so they're kind of tangential to the case, case. So definitely not involved in it, but they know Michael. And so that, along with my research, paints a very different picture. Oh, interesting. Mm hmm. Michael experienced one of my worst nightmares. I think I've mentioned it on here before. By sheer bad fortune, he crossed paths with someone who ended up ruining his life. And he just could not do anything to stop it. So that's one of my personal fears that just what if you happen to run into someone and they decide that you're their target. So to that point, my conversations also gave me a greater appreciation of what we mean by true crime. We've said it before, but I really want to emphasize it. And especially after listening to the Uber case, these are real people living real lives. It's easy for us to sit here and talk about it, but they don't get to just listen to one episode and then move on. They, This is their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, I do want to just add a disclaimer that I am a novice researcher. I am not a professional investigative journalist. And while we put a ton of effort into bringing you the facts, the reality is we genuinely don't know. Even when cases are decided by a jury in a courtroom, we all know that life has a lot of gray. So I'm excited to share the story with you, but I'll emphasize that these are just the facts that I was able to gather, and any opinion here is just that, an opinion. Um, And also, in a shocking turn of events, what started out as a quick case to split in an episode with Marina um, took me deep into researching all of the details, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm not going to share them all with you tonight because we would be here all night. I did watch parts of the trial on youtube and it's still out there if you want all the details yourself i think the fact that this turned into a extensive research project for you is the most shocking fact you'll <laughs> yeah. tell me all night i'm just aghast with that information I know. I know it's really i don't know how to do it small i, I don't either as, as we'll see oh, with the next yes. episode <laughs> plural <laughs> Z- yeah <laughs> Uh, So I will do my best to present the story, but I'm just acknowledging that there are likely many nuances I may not capture. And I mean, literally all of the three or so weeks of trial is out on YouTube. It was very captivating, but I just couldn't watch every detail of it. And I'm sure I missed some. So anyway, enough disclaimers. We can get into it. 
Okay, so I'm going to start by telling you a bit about the, the dressage world. And let's first talk about what dressage is. In my opinion, it is magic. The rider guides the horse to perform a specific set of motions that require highly precise direction. And it kind of reminds me of gymnastics, like in the Olympics, where you see the gymnast has a routine that they're judged on and they get extra points for each move. And then if they connect them, what results for dressage is effectively a graceful ballet by a thousand pound animal. It is absolutely beautiful and it's mesmerizing what the riders are able to have the horse do sometimes it literally looks like they're floating it's i I don't even think you can picture it i definitely recommend going out on youtube and looking uh in between your trial uh viewing but go watch some of the olympics or grand prix competitions um you could just search for dressage on youtube i'll pause for a second for marina and colby to watch this okay so we saw a couple videos of what that looks like what do you think? I'm still watching it. Yeah. (laughs) Look, it really looks like the horse is floating. It's beautiful. It's crazy. I'm extra impressed that someone can get a thousand pound animal to do that when I can't get my toddler to listen to me for five (laughs) seconds. So kudos. Seriously. It takes a ton of skill, a ton of practice. Um, so with any, as with any sport to get to the Olympics in dressage requires extreme dedication and skill. And this is exactly what longtime rider and trainer Michael Barrison had. From his bio, he and his horse Neruda solidified their place in the international dressage ranks in 2006 with two Grand Prix wins in Florida. Then they traveled to Europe and gained valuable international experience against some of the world's best. They then returned to the U.S. and performed well in many other prestigious events, leading him eventually to become an alternate for the 2008 Team USA in Beijing. In addition to his own accomplishments as a rider, he was a legend of a trainer. He coached many other Olympic riders and people literally travel across the country to train under him. He was so well known that he even, I'll say quote unquote, because he definitely didn't actually train, but he trained Stephen Colbert on an episode (laughs) of the Colbert Report. Mm -hmm. So um, pretty funny if you want to check that out. That's really impressive because I think not again, I had, I know nothing about horses, but when you're doing something versus teaching Mm -hmm. someone to do something, those are two completely Mm -hmm. different sets of skills. And there are people that are good at doing it, good at training, but Mm -hmm. to do both is very impressive. And unlike gymnastics, you have both the rider and the horse that you Mm -hmm. need to work with and and consider. Um, So it's just incredibly impressive. And every horse is different too. So just like every rider is. So like there's not a one size fits all kind of thing that you could do. Exactly. So students would train at one of his two farms, one in Florida and one in New Jersey. And it was at the barn in New Jersey, known as Hawthorne Hill, where Lauren Kanarek would arrive to participate in a clinic that Michael was hosting in March of 2018. Lauren, also from New Jersey and 38 at the time, had spent all of her adult life dedicated to dressage. Michael must have seen some potential in her and offered her a spot in his training program. So she, with the guidance of her father, who was a former Wall Street attorney, eagerly entered into an agreement with Michael where she would pay him $5,000 a month to train, board her two horses, and actually live on the property. Which okay. I actually, I, I saw your face, Colby, when I first deal. said that. It's actually yes. a pretty good deal. Plus, yes. boarding horses is very expensive. It is so. incredibly expensive yeah. to board horses. And you mentioned this in the beginning, but it, it's not uncommon to have a student living or working um, at the barn to take care of the horses in exchange for training. I went to horse camp too, guys. Yep. Oh my <laughs> god! Maybe you should have done this case. <laughs> oh god, I'm such a nerd. I love it though. However, the arrangement with Lauren was unique. She was living in the upstairs apartment of the farmhouse that Michael was also living in with his fellow trainers, Justin Harden and Mary Haskins Gray. 
Mary was also Michael's girlfriend, and all of this was on the property okay. with the barn in New Jersey. Lauren's boyfriend, Rob Goodwin, was also living there, as well as Mary's two young children. So definitely a full house. Trouble begins when Lauren discovers she is not getting trained exclusively by Michael. She's being taught also by the other trainers, Mary and Justin, in addition to time with Michael. This is standard practice, and it makes sense to me. The best example I can think of is an executive chef at a restaurant. I don't expect that my food will be exclusively exclusively prepared by the executive chef. They are accountable for the overall mm-hmm. direction and quality of the end product, but the sous chef or someone else may actually prepare the dish, and that's yep. completely fine. Mm-hmm. So that's how I think of it. But she was frustrated with this, feeling that she was paying for something she wasn't getting. And I think when she was failing to be as successful as she thought she was going to be, she blamed it on the fact that she wasn't training right. under Michael. This story would have been over as soon as it began if at this point she just packed up and left. Um, There are other farms to train at after all, but instead she chose to wage war on Michael and his trainers. So she took to social media and began blatantly attacking them and the business. She accused Michael of abusing and neglecting horses, which is obviously a huge no-no as a trainer and all that, and then in general. Um, she says things like he doesn't pay his bills. He, she accuses him of insurance fraud. All of this is, of course, false. And she's living at the barn? Yes. Okay, yep. that's I, I feel yeah. awkward down uh-huh. to my core just uh-huh. hearing about this situation. Yep. It The people, the other people working on the barn say that it was incredibly uncomfortable and just it was very clear that oh. there was a lot of tension. So tense. And again, I think to myself, why wouldn't she just have left? Right. That's what I'm thinking. Yep. Like. Um, your living situation is wrapped Uh up in this too. Exactly. And in the 48 hours interview that I watched, Lauren's father, when asked the exact same question said, quote, Michael never asked her to leave. First of all, that's not true. Michael definitely asked her to leave. But second, why would she need him to ask her to leave to leave? You don't need permission to leave. You just leave. Exactly. I did read something where she claimed that she thought something, she couldn't get her horses out fast enough and something would happen to them. But there is, no truth in no. the concern for the horses so i think she should have just left so, so were they continue was she continuing to train with him and the staff like while she was lobbing these accusations on social media i don't think so i think that that had stopped once this all began but i'm actually not clear if they tried to you know kind of work with her because hmm. she was paying the amount i'm not sure <laughs> she's hmm. like i'm not gonna train under you i'm just gonna sit upstairs and blast you on social media and i'm gonna continue to give you my money yeah right. yeah, yeah. The- i'm not sure this all happened within a pretty a yeah. pretty okay. small time frame okay. so i'm not quite sure so as i said instead of leaving she actually continued to ramp up her attacks so now she's posting how she's quote at war saying her life has been threatened but simultaneously threatening his life And she says, quote, I've been planning this for months. Everything I've done up until now has been child's play. So pretty serious stuff. This isn't just like, this guy sucks and then leaving. But seriously, that sounds like a scary. Exactly. And now you said this earlier, Colby. Remember, she and her boyfriend, Rob, who is a much bigger guy than Michael physically, as an aside, they're still living in the same house as Michael. So when she starts threatening him as well as Mary and, and the kids, Michael decides they need to physically separate that he's not comfortable. So he actually relocates um, himself and Mary to the clubhouse at the barn where they figure out what to do. So he's living okay. like out of a suitcase, sleeping on a couch kind of thing. Because he can't kick her out. Yeah. So, and again, I, I'm not sure on the exact timing of that part, but I think it was basically like, I cannot sleep here. I need right. to just like get away right. and figure out what to do here. Makes sense. So now I'm going to take you kind of through 
the days leading up to the shooting. So July 31st, um, things begin to escalate quickly at this point. Uh, the shooting was on August 7th. So this is about a week before Michael hires a private investigator who runs a background check on Lauren. Cause he's just trying to figure out what on earth am I yeah. dealing with? Like, is this someone who's got a history of killing people <laughs> or is this, you know, is this someone I can not worry that much? Um, but that same day, numerous people overhear Lauren saying she's going to destroy everything in Mary's life. Mary again is the co-trainer right. and, and Michael's girlfriend. Yikes. And when he hears this, he calls 911. The police respond. He says he's in fear of his life. He's not yeah. sure what she's going to do, but the police do nothing because according to them, it's a civil matter. Mm. So the next day, feeling desperate with that answer, Michael starts making calls, trying to figure out what to do. He calls his attorney that works for the U.S. Uh, Equestrian Federation, and he's a, a board member on that, then calls the CEO of USEF to try to figure out if there's anything he can do, he calls a police officer friend. He's just trying to look at, right. you know, it feels like His the police options. isn't helping. Yeah. What else can I do? Right. And that same day, Lauren arrives at the stables after hours. So, you know, there's the hours that everybody's there. Sure. But she goes there after hours, which is effectively going into his house at that point because he's staying there and sleeping there. He tells her to leave. She refuses. And again, he calls 911. The police arrive and basically say he can't restrict her movement on the property. So Michael hires a private security guard, paying him $100 a night to sit in front of the farmhouse, because at this point, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's worried about his staff. Mm -hmm. He's worried about the horses, the barn. He just doesn't know. My face hurts from the confusion on yeah, it. From, yeah, from the face that I'm making. I, yeah. I'm so perplexed why the police couldn't do anything. Like, it's his, because she was paying him? Like, it's his private property. I think, so. I think property. she's effectively renting and he has to evict her. She's a tenant. Right. Okay. Yeah, so I get the eviction, but at this point, it's like a domestic violence. Right. It's like domestic yep. violence because yep. they're living at the same property. So if she's threatening him or mm -hmm. bizarre. Yeah, and, and this is why I struggle with uh, the shorter cases because I don't know exactly what happened in, I know that he specifically said i fear for my life in those 911 calls but i don't know exactly what the police said i don't know exactly what the terms of her lease were and all mm -hmm. that which pains me because i must know all the details there's but no book no no <laughs> there isn't um so at this point michael's not sleeping he's paranoid he's yeah. really upset so the next day he and mary decided is not safe for her 11 year old son who had been living with them to stay there so they send him uh, to live with his father her daughter's at camp so the kids are safe in a way the next day maybe sensing their fear lauren continues to ramp up her online attack so on august 3rd this is four days before the shooting she posts quote everyone should be worried i'm not responsible for anything my other personalities do when they're threatened what exactly i really don't understand how there's n not more intervention at this point yeah. these You're are gonna, like yeah. blatant threats in my opinion agreed and i think that's where a lot of the outrage with this comes is actually at the police and i think again i didn't do all all of the research but i believe michael actually sued the police for not intervening because of all this i mean he's this is twice now that he's called the police well it's like oh look there's like a week's worth of threats leading mm -hmm. up to a crime right. what a shocker it's right. not like anybody could have predicted this would happen exactly yep. yeah the whole uh, let them resolve it themselves but it's just not working out in this no. situation no. And I, you think they'd get that <laughs> i just it's not like i understand she was living there and you shouldn't just like kick someone out sure. not knowing the situation you shouldn't just kick someone out but it just feels like there are other things that could have been done so 
at this point, um, Michael sees that private conversations of his and other his employees are being posted verbatim online. So he again calls the police. So this is the third time now right. that he's called the police. He tells them he thinks he's being recorded and that he's being threatened. Although they take no action from his perspective. So they basically same thing, say we can't do anything. They do talk to Lauren, who freely admits that she is indeed recording at the barn. Now, I looked at this part. I did look up. New Jersey is a one-party consent yeah, state, meaning only one person needs to be aware of the recording as opposed to a two-party state right. where the person being recorded has to consent. I'm not sure if that changes with private property, but I wonder if that's maybe why the police couldn't take any action at that point. Which that always cracked me up because the person that rec- is recording obviously consents. Right, right. So I the know. other person I is know. just shit out of luck. Exactly. <laughs> the only thought I have is if like you were recording a room full of people or like mm-hmm. if I left my phone in here and recorded you guys and I walked in the other room mm-hmm. and used whatever you said against you, like neither of you would be a consenting party. And mm. But like I wasn't present for the recording. Oh. So I don't think I would count as a consenting party. Maybe. We are being recorded right now. We are. <laughs> With our consent. With our consent. <laughs> yep. So either way, however, whatever's legal or not, it seems like it would have been really nice of the police to be like, you're not crazy. You are being recorded. Right. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know the legality of that, but um, th- but they don't say anything. So August 4th, we're now three days before the shooting. Lauren continues to threaten and harass Michael via text. She says pointed things like she's going to have people come ride her horses on his property, which doesn't sound like a really aggressive threat. But if you're hosting, you have a a barn like this where you're training people, there's a lot of liability with that. And so anyone who would have come onto the property to ride a horse has to sign a release. That's just standard. Um, and so Lauren arrives to the stable saying she's going to have all these strangers ride on the property. Still kind of a funny threat for it, people, it, it for is, people yeah. who like aren't involved it in horses. It just goes to like, show uh, that like it was literally every angle, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right. Like it's like even you can't even like have your stable, you know? Right. Um, so she arrives to do that. And he of course says you need to sign a release or leave. She refuses. And he calls 911 for the fourth time. They again, don't do anything. Maybe they're just thinking this is like you said, a, a landlord tenant right. thing. Like, you know, we've been called here before you guys are fine, but, um, I, I, they don't do anything. I thought that I really, I, I rarely am not going to shit on the police because there's mm-hmm. always so much information mm-hmm. we don't have. Yep, exactly. Maybe there was nothing that they could do or it just didn't seem as intense. Again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. We're hearing it back and exactly. we're like, how did you not read these signs? The poli- Can you imagine though getting a 911 call and, and you're like, she threatened to ride horses no, on literally, right, exactly. And the cops are like, sir, this is 911. The right. cops are like, that's what people do with horses, sir. They ride them on properties. <laughs> right. Well, and I I can also see, like, would the correct path uh, of action be go to evict her, wait the 30 days, like, blah, 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 get a restraining order? Yes, of course it is. But you put yourself in the situation of someone just, and again, this is one of my weird phobias of just running into people who can just ruin your life. You can follow all of those things and still have somebody do something to you and harass you. And I just think how overwhelming and stressful and it from everything i read and everyone i've talked to it, it, michael was not confrontational he was not this is just not a thing it right. just was not i think he was probably so flustered and so upset and it just you know what i mean and he's thinking i'm calling the police i'm trying to right, yeah. i'm mm-hmm. trying to get someone to help me so i can see it 
So August 5th, two days before the shooting, the harassment continues. Lauren is posting and texting things using exact wording from private conversations. So Michael, at this point, pays a company $5,000 to come in and figure out where he's being recorded to just actually scan for bugs. They don't find anything. Hmm. But Lauren boasts online that she's hidden them where no one can find them and says she thinks it's funny watching them scurry around to try to have conversations without Mm. being recorded. I don't like that. No, no. And by the way, at trial, spoiler alert, there's a trial. uh, The defense has over 70 private conversations being recorded around the property. So they were definitely it was it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. So at this point. Michael does try to go the route we were just talking about and has his lawyer send a three-page letter laying everything out and telling her to leave. But then, of course, at this point, he's worried about Lauren's retaliation to this letter. So he, again, went, he didn't call 911 this time, but he did go to the police department with a bunch of evidence and a bunch of proof asking for help. They don't even let him in to have, you know, sit in the office. They send him away and say, basically, we've already talked to you. Yep. Not helping you go. I don't know what they told him to do, but did not help him. August 6th, it's been nearly a week since Michael first called 911 about this. And as I said, I I can't imagine how helpless you'd feel at this point. Because at least for me, having not been in trouble with the law at all, I think I need help. I'm going to call the police. And to feel like you went down that path, you called people in authority that you knew, you've gone to the police, you've tried, you know, to to get some help. Um, I think that I would have just felt that I could not escape. So... Unfortunately for Michael, it's only only going to get worse. So Lauren, again, ramps up her attacks. The day before the shooting, she and Rob, her boyfriend, file a complaint with the town saying that Michael was doing construction on the barn without a permit and that the barn was unsafe to live in. So they're effectively trying to get him kicked out of the barn. And by the way, Rob was actually the one doing the construction on the on the barn. <laughs> that illegal construction being yeah, done here exactly. that my boyfriend is being paid for handsomely. <laughs> uh-huh. So as a result of this complaint, the town comes to the barn and says, you can't live there and kicks him out. So while this is happening and the town is literally walking around with them, Rob is walking around pointing things out and saying, here's what's, you know, illegal, I guess. But at one point, while the town, the people from the town are focused on something else, Rob looks at Michael, makes kind of a gun with his fingers and mouths, get ready. I would shit my pants if somebody did that to me. So now he's sleeping on a mattress outside the barn because he can't sleep inside. Wait, I have a question. Was mm-hmm. she also live, living inside the barn? No, they were at the farmhouse They were still. at the farmhouse. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Sure. So arguably fine. Could he have not slept out on a mattress outside the barn? Yes. But that would have meant going into the house. And it's just at this point, I, I would not have wanted to be around them either. I'd be like, you know what? You can have the barn. Yeah. You can have all of it. I'm just going to go now. Okay, thanks. Bye. Yeah, it just and and you think about this is a man who has been extremely successful in his career, has built this is one of his two very successful barns to train at. And it's someone is just threatening all of that. I yeah. just I would be destroyed. So on August 7th, the tension that has been increasing ever since Lauren set foot on the property would boil over. The tipping point came when she submitted a complaint about Michael to Safe Sport. Safe Sport is an independent organization authorized by Congress intended to protect athletes of all sports from emotional, physical, and sexual abuse and misconduct. And I believe this was spearheaded from the horrific abuse in the gymnastics community by Larry Nassar, mm. which led to the Protecting Young Victims from Sexual Abuse and Safe Sport Authorization Act of 2017. Right. 
And that is an incredible story in and of itself. I highly recommend Athlete A on Netflix if you haven't seen it. It's all about how that trial came to be. Anyway, the intentions of safe sport are admirable. However, Lauren abused this avenue. I was going to say, what abuse is Lauren the victim of at this point in time? So she submitted a report accusing Michael, among other things, of sexual misconduct against Mary's children. So not what? even against her, against Mary's children. So it's really fucked up. Extremely. Yeah, and let me say this very clearly. This is completely untrue. Not only do Michael and Mary deny anything of the sort, but previous students of Michael say he never made them feel uncomfortable and CPS never found any evidence of any misconduct. So it's completely un- un- unfounded. Unfounded. I have to say people abusing systems that are in place to protect mm-hmm. other people for their own personal gain. That's I, I don't know if you want to call it a pet peeve because I think everyone hates that, but it just ruins everything. It makes everything yes. harder for yes. people who are using it for genuine reasons. And it just pisses me off. Exactly. Do you, do you know what I like to do to those people? Wish diarrhea upon them. <laughs> yes. So I am wishing all of the diarrhea on Lauren at the yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> and the worst part is it wastes the resources because they had to go look into it. Right. Which, yep. of course, you would want them to do in the event that anything was true. So they looked into the report that day, August 7th, a caseworker arrived to Hawthorne Hill and they asked to talk to Mary in the office in the barn. And this causes Michael to have basically a complete mental breakdown. He had struggled in his childhood and through adult life with depression and anxiety and wanted children, but had not had them with, um, he had been married before, had not had him, had children with his previous wife. Um, and so he was so happy when he met Mary and had the kids yeah. and absolutely loved those kids. So to have someone accuse him of something so horrible that was so untrue on top of what he had just lived through for the past week and even beyond, you know, before that, he just had a complete breakdown. I'm so sad for him. Me too. It's awful. Um, he has no memory beyond this point. But what happened next was Michael went into his office and asks Mary and the caseworker to wait outside. He has a safe in his office where there was a nine millimeter gun owned by one of his close friends, Ruth Cox. And I didn't find anything explicit as to why he was keeping the gun in that safe. But she was had arrived to the bar to the area like five days before. But it, there, it's nothing it, it's nothing material to the case, so I tried to keep it. I tried to keep my research down, um, but just in case you ask that question, I'm not sure why she had to bring a gun with her and why it was there. Um, she was charged with unlawful transfer of a weapon as a result of this, but otherwise, that's the okay. only impact and the fact that he had a gun. So Michael then drove to the farmhouse. So it's on the same property, but it's a huge property, so it's mm-hmm. like a quarter mile away, and that is where Rob and Lauren are. Rob describes him as arriving calm and sorrowful. Rob says, Michael says, can't we work this out? I don't want to go to war. And Michael, uh, Rob then turns his back and walks away. And Lauren walks past Rob to confront Michael. No one but Michael, Lauren, and Rob know exactly what happened at this point. Mm -hmm. But Lauren was shot twice in the chest and a third bullet was discharged. Rob likely in an effort to subdue Michael, beat him while Lauren, who miraculously survived the gunshots, called 911. I'm not going to lie. I thought this story ended with 
uh, Michael getting shot by Lauren. I did yes. too. That's where mm-hmm. I thought you were going. This was a plot twist. And you are getting the reverse po- plot twist that I got, which was when I first looked into this, I will fully admit, based on the headlines, which make me angry now, that it sounds like Michael, Michael, you know, Olympic trainer shoots woman, student, and it just makes her sound really innocent and him really guilty. And then right. you hear all of this and... I, we'll get into my thoughts on the whole thing, but um, but I felt exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So in the 911 call, in the background, you can hear Rob saying over and over again, I'm going to fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. In the scuffle, Lauren and Rob's dog also viciously attacked Michael. So <sighs> he's now had the shit beaten out of him and dog attacking him. And so when the police arrive, they have no idea who the shooter is because they see Rob on top of Michael still beating him. Neither have a gun in their hands. It's on the ground. When they ask who the shooter is, Rob says Michael, and Michael is basically incoherent at this point. He makes some comments and says, the police say he was saying, is this real? I need to wake up. I had a good life, which just makes me want to cry. Because again, this is my worst fear of just, can you imagine just right now we, things are going great. We have this great podcast and just you cross paths with the wrong person. And anyway. What a confusing kerfuffle for the police to yes. wander upon. Exactly. So they take Michael into custody because they, he, I mean. I mean, Michael did yeah, just shoot yeah, Lauren. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's fair. Exactly. And medical personnel tend to Lauren. She's rushed to the hospital where she's put in a medically induced coma for four days. And she remained in the ICU for three weeks. But she did survive. Wow. Which is incredible for being shot in the chest twice. I feel like it was because she was so spiteful towards Michael. She was like, I yes. will survive this yes. and you will rue the day you shot me. I think that's very accurate. So only the good die young. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yep. Well played. Now, the next day, Michael was charged with two counts of attempt- attempted murder. And at 67, he was facing 80 years in prison. Whew. Oh, shit. He's old. I yeah. I was thinking he was much younger than that. I was that. thinking he was like in his 40s yeah, or something. That's what I was thinking. No, he, this man has had a wonderful career, has literally been to the Olympics, has this beautifully successful bar- multiple barns training. People yeah. freaking love him. And he, he finds himself in this situation. It just breaks your heart. Wow. Although he was put in jail of in August of 2019, his trial didn't begin until March of 2022. So that was this year. Michael's defense said Lauren had basically driven him crazy through her yes. attacks on social media. They say he was suffering from a mental illness at the time of the shooting that made him think his life was in danger and acted in self-defense, not knowing what was right or wrong. I mean, I would agree that he probably felt his life yep. was in danger and he had somebody had records that he had told the police four times exactly. as much. So to to explain further what the um, what the defense's argument was, it was not in pure self-defense, which is what I thought originally. Mm-hmm. It was actually it's the insanity plea. Oh, OK. That he was temporarily insane at the time of the shooting. Right. Because she wasn't attacking him exactly. in any way. Yep. Now, as I said, Michael doesn't remember anything after telling the caseworker and Mary to leave his office. His next memory is waking up in the hospital, handcuffed to the bed. And just like in the beginning where I kind of had my assumptions, I wanted to say how convenient that you only, you know, you don't yeah. remember just the shooting. But he was severely beaten on the head. They they really did a number on him. I'll post a picture um, of him at the hospital. But between this and a mental break, I can completely see that right. you lose your memory for a period of time. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the defense had two reputable experts speak to this, Dr. Stephen Simmering, a psychiatrist, and Dr. Charles Hassan, a neuropsychologist, testified that Michael battled the uncommon persecutory delusional disorder, which is a fixed false belief of an external reality despite evidence to the contrary. So he believed that Lauren and Rob were conspiring against him and planned to destroy the business, which I would argue is definitely true and was not evidence to the contrary, but... Yeah, it sounds about so, right. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't From, feel like much of a leap to me. No. no, exactly. Now, the prosecution had their own expert, of course. Their stance was that Michael knew what he was doing and intentionally shot at both Lauren and Rob, hence the two first-degree murder, uh, attempted oh, murder. Okay. Their expert, Dr. Lewis Schlesinger, said there was no basis to conclude that Michael had any sort of psychosis or detachment from reality. He gave diagnoses of depression, which Michael's doctors also confirmed, which I mentioned, as well as anxiety and obsessive compulsive traits, but said none of those would have affected a person's ability to know the quality of their acts. Hmm. It's a fair, it's a fair statement, but in the, I didn't write this in my notes, but the parts of the trial I did watch, I watched the opening. Um, one of the things I watched was the opening statements of the defense. And he basically said, every person has their breaking point. And that yes. really resonated with me because I just think, I mean, this listening to this case gives me anxiety thinking mm -hmm. about it and just thinking about so a stupid example is when we moved into our house our next door neighbors part of the reason we moved into our house is it was nice and quiet in this quiet neighborhood in the end of a cul-de-sac and our neighbors now i live in a densely All populated yep, <laughs> i live in a densely populated neighborhood and my neighbors on like a half acre have dirt bikes and i remember thinking again this is much less intense but i remember thinking I felt so trapped and so upset because yep. I was just like, we just spent all this money on a house and I can't go anywhere. And that is just one tiny little thing. Um, I can't imagine if someone were attacking my livelihood and myself and then eventually accusing me of things like, you know, sexual misconduct against a child. Like I'm with him. People, I, there's, this is another one of those situations where people, abuse the system and everyone tries to use a psychotic break as mm -hmm. an excuse when they knew exactly what was happening but this feels like one of those moments mm -hmm. where this is a very well respected mm -hmm. person he has no history mm -hmm. of violence he was cornered mm -hmm. and when you brought his family into mm -hmm. it i i could believe that mm -hmm. he honestly blacked out yes. and just Same. you know Same. acted on this internal what is that like caveman yeah. instincts like yes. i don't know just to protect yeah. his life and his business yeah. and his family just like caveman vibes yep. going on like yeah. i can believe that this would be a person that had that like heat of the yeah. moment action same so the jury heard these experts as well as key witnesses including mary the responding officers and lauren herself which again if you want to hear all of this you can go into youtube it is quite captivating it's very interesting to listen rob also testified now, the insanity defense is used in less than 1% of all court cases. And when it's used, it only has a 26% success rate. So for those keeping score at home, that means it only works about 26 times out of every 10,000. It's extremely uncommon, mm -hmm. very hard to prove. The jury deliberated for four days and on April 14th, 2022, returned a verdict of not guilty by reason of insanity for the attempted murder of Lauren Kanarek. Oh, damn. I know I gave myself goosebumps Same. on that. <laughs> Oh, damn. Yep. And he was flat out not guilty for the attempt on Rob. They they didn't believe that. You See, know what? I'm, I'm good with that because yep. like she, 
I don't, she, she did this. Like yes. she instigated, yes. she lit the fire. Yes. If she would never have attacked him or gone mm-hmm. to the extremes that she did, like nothing in his life says that this man would have snapped this way no. previously. My right? God, no. And no. the other, the other thing is this is the criminal justice system its purpose is to deliver justice this is not a nathaniel roland situation where it is this tragic random act of violence like colby just said she did this Mm -hmm. and he snapped Mm -hmm. but this is not someone if they let him back into the community you're concerned about other members of society this is not something that is going to repeat itself like she brought this Mm -hmm. upon herself Mm -hmm. through her actions and how dare you Mm -hmm. how dare you do this and then be just devastated by it. I, not that I listened to the trial testimony, yep. but I'm sure she's devastated. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure she has PTSD from it. And yep. I'm sure she's just can't be great to be shot. Well, all right. the comments are exactly that from her is that I'm the one who got shot. You well, yeah. yeah. You're the victim. Yeah. But but again, you brought it upon yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you threaten someone like that, that's like people that get up in someone's mm-hmm. face and say like, you know, screw you. Like, mm-hmm. and then they get punched in the face mm-hmm. and they're like, I was assaulted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, but don't you do instigated. that. Yeah, don't do that. And you won't be punched. Like, can't say I've ever been randomly punched before. <laughs> exactly. And now I understand you can't just go shoot people for what they no, do. No, no, sure. no, I don't, I don't believe if this were the first thing that happened and he just you know, after a few attacks online, he went and chased her down sure. and shot her. But he's called 911 four, yeah, times, four times and went to the police. He's inter- he's called everyone he knows that has any, any power whatsoever to intervene. This is someone who, again, is not into confrontation. He doesn't have any history of violence. He just is living his life as the super successful trainer and rider. And this person comes into his life and I, I would have a mental break as yeah. well. He felt hopeless and he snapped. Yes. Yeah. So Michael was brought after the trial to a psychiatric facility. Lauren, who again had physically recovered, and I'll say that because I do, for all of the things that she did, I do recognize that that was still a traumatic event. So I will acknowledge that she physically recovered. I'm happy she survived. Yes. Like, like well, I'm me glad too. she right. wasn't right. murdered in this scenario, but me like too. actions have consequences. Well, and yeah. that would weigh on Michael's yes, conscience. That's what I was going to say. So. Yep. Yep. Can I just plug into like there are people that try to plead the insanity defense. You don't just get to walk. Exactly. There are a lot yep. of people, people who the the few times that it does work, mm-hmm. they can actually be institutionalized longer than their criminal sentence would be for yes. the crimes that they are getting out of. Yep. I will say, so he is in, he just got moved on September 7th to a less restrictive facility, right. but they will follow up every six months. And now the only other thing I'll say about this is I'm glad I watched some of the trial because I couldn't believe how I felt the judge was very biased, which seems very wrong to me, but it very much felt like he was against and thought Michael was guilty. So what concerns me about that is that he is part of the, and I don't know all the details of this, but he weighs in on whether or not Michael gets out of right. the psychiatric facility, mm. which is very, I'm I'm hoping that they'll give it some time and, and he'll be able to to get out and rebuild. But, um, but that part still gives me a bit of a pit in my stomach. I'm mm-hmm. glad that he was vindicated and that he was not found guilty, but you're absolutely right. He's not just free to go live yeah, his you life. Don't just, she is, yeah. by the way. She's fine to go live her life, but he is still in right. this facility. Right. 
Um, so speaking of Lauren, she and her father hired an attorney to sue Michael in a civil court now. Um, so in the spirit of listening and learning, remember this was the distinction we had in the Rebecca Zahow case yes. when we had a civil case over, um, uh, shoot, what's the other one? Not civil, the criminal. Yeah, that one. Okay. I didn't learn. <laughs> we, the same thing happened in the Robert Wan case as well. They're yep. like, nobody was found guilty in the criminal case. And then there was a civil case that yep. the men were like, we're going to just settle that yep. real quick. And that is an active ongoing case. So we'll, oh. re- we'll report back here when we hear anything from it. We'll um, do a little uppity date. That was like my bulletin breaking. <laughs> oh, I thought it was uh, Elmer Fudd, actually. No, no I, I could see that, though, yeah. as well. I got a Porky Pig vibe, too. Like a bulletin? Like, if you yep. ever... Yeah, you know, I got yep. you now. All right. Can't wait for the people who tuned in just to listen to this particular case and are getting the full grim experience right now. Yep. Yep. Um, Welcome. So, as we said, Michael is in the, the psychiatric facility, um... But even if he is released, it will be a long road to rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he'll do so with the adamant support of the dressage community. And I really liked his comment at the end of the 48 hours interview, which I do recommend because it summarizes this pretty well. He said, quote, I only want everyone to do well with the dreams that they have. And isn't that what we all want? Aww. So that is the story of the tragic events on Hawthorne Hill. Wow. That is crazy and was 100% preventable. Yeah, that's what Mm. makes me mad. And again, you know, I wrote literally my general thoughts. Michael shouldn't have shot her. Totally acknowledge Mm -hmm. that. I get it. But Lauren should have left. Just leave. You could have gotten your horses out. It would have been fine. No other horses were ever in any danger whatsoever. You could have gotten... And get get a damn trailer and just get your horses out. And also somebody who is of Michael's status is not going to hurt your horse because he hates you. Exactly. There are people I hate. I would never harm their dog or their cat. Like I would take that animal for myself maybe, but I'd never hurt it. It's Mm -hmm. innocent. Like it was just dumb for her to even think or articulate that that was part of her concern because the horse was never in any danger. Exactly. Um, Horses, sorry. (laughs) Yes. And as I said, there is tremendous support from the dressage community that has rallied around Michael and he needs it because although he has these two successful farms, he's not there running right. it or doing anything with it. So they are struggling and his legal fees, because now he's gone through an entire mm. trial. Now he's facing this civil court. Those are all mounting. So his partner and friend, Laura Osborne has created a GoFundMe to raise money for this. So I'll post a link in our episode notes where you can donate if you're so inclined. So this was our first episode with listener suggestions. I just want to say we would like to do these more often. Um, Some of these, you know, people, people have messaged us about other cases. Like I Mm -hmm. do have more cases already that have been mentioned. So if you've messaged us, they will go on our list. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But please, if there's something you want covered or something in your hometown, or Mm -hmm. even if it's just smaller, but you think it's interesting or there's something we can learn from it. I mean, let us know because, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to do these smaller cases. Exactly. And I also think that this was the best first listener suggestion yes. case because the dichotomy yeah. between the two yeah. cases, Very different. one yep. was just this insane, tragic accident mm-hmm. where there was no motive and no, True. 
you know, there was no way to know that it was going to happen versus the Very one that you just, yeah, yeah, the one that you just gave where yeah. there's this intense lead up and everyone could see it coming. Though yep. again, I, I thought that Lauren shot Michael, I but know. I really yep. thought that was crazy. What, what yeah. was going to happen too. Yeah. And I'll say, so we also, you heard like the Rebecca Zahow was your sister's suggestion. So we've done other, and your yep. next case is a listener suggestion yes. too. Mm-hmm. So we will do other full episode cases that are listener suggestions, but the, the split episodes are nice because sometimes we do debate is there enough information to fill an entire episode um now i think what i'm learning is we could literally fill an episode on for anything (laughs) however if you don't want to know every you know like the history of dressage um from the 1700s then i i think we have to split these into two but it's it's a nice way if you think that there might not be enough information we'll figure it out we'll either do a split case or or we'll do its own so um we'll continue to take them even if it's not a dedicated listener suggestion episode Uh, we just like it all we like to research it also lets us tell the story yeah. like no story is too small exactly. when we handle them this way because they're each event in its own like what happened to sammy like mm-hmm. it's a small quote-unquote story for us to cover on a podcast but like that's a huge event mm-hmm. that had happened and like her story does deserve to exactly. be heard and same yeah, thing she, with michael yeah yep. they're all real people and they deserve exactly. to have their story told i think that's actually what i'm taking away the most from this episode is again i we always try to think about the victims and we think about this we talked about with the corpse bride which is an insane case that is very easy to remove yourself yes. from mm-hmm. and we still think about it but i think an episode like this really brings it home for me i can for me i can see myself in sammy and then i can picture just although i am by no means an olympic trainer mm-hmm. uh, i can imagine just one day your life is going along perfectly normally and then next you don't even know that you've met someone who's going to ruin your life so mm-hmm. i think it's just really um we think about the people in these two cases right so um if you want to see the case photos from both of these cases please follow us on instagram at grim crime podcast and on facebook you can search grim colon a true crime podcast we post as i said case photos and other interesting things on both of those And we would love it if you could rate and follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and a whole bunch of other ones. We realize we should just start saying you can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah, basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if there's some random platform we've never heard of that you listen to podcasts on and you want to see us on it, just shoot us a message. Yeah, let us know. And we'll just we'll just get on there for you because yeah. we love you that much. And you can let us know at grimcrimepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And that's where you can send case suggestions or you can DM us on Instagram. We respond to pretty much everything. Yeah. Um, you can send a carrier pigeon or smoke signals. I was going to say carrier pigeon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's weird. Yeah. 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 That's because I think that's what we all go to when we go off mm-hmm. of the um, yes. electronics. We think we think carrier pigeon. So Anyway, with that, Gremlins, listen, learn, and stay alive until next time because the future is grim.